Well, today's passage is certainly countercultural, and um, I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 through 8, and then we'll pray. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our service. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, come meet with us. If I'm up here in my power, Lord, it will be of little use. But Lord, if you give me and us your Holy Spirit, if you would empower me with your spirit for these few moments, and, and if you would take the preaching of your word, and Holy Spirit, illuminate our eyes to a very important passage. We're dependent upon you. We humbly submit to you. Guide through this time in your name. Amen. Many people have asked me over the course of my ministry, how do I get more of God? How do I come to know more of God? I, I need God more. I've gone to the elders, the deacons, the pastor to be prayed over. I've been anointed with oil. I've tried speaking in tongues. I've gone to many churches looking for God. I want to experience God. I've tried counseling, therapy, seminars, taken Bible classes, but I just can't seem to get more of God. In fact, he's distant to me. In fact, I don't even know that he hears my prayers. It seems like the, the heavens are brass. I'll bet we've all felt that way at times. Romans chapter 12 is a transition in the book of Romans. And I'm going to end by teaching us exactly what we just went through there. Romans 1 through 11, as we've been listening to, and no doubt as you read, are just layers upon layers upon layers of sound doctrine that, if you've just read it for the first time or heard it preached for the first time, probably blows your mind. I remember, as a new believer, coming to the book of Romans, reading it, but 
just not getting it. It's very similar to the book of Hebrews. In fact, once I was asked to teach the teens, and they, they were going through the book of Romans, and I said, I think I'm going to pass on Romans and just do an easier passage. Why? Why was that? Well, because in order to understand the book of Romans or Hebrews, or any of the New Testament actually, but especially Romans, in order to really grasp the truths, the layers that are in Romans, you need at least a working knowledge of the Old Testament. You need to have a, a fair, good understanding of the whole sacrificial system, and at least ponder that. So if you want to understand the book of Romans, read the Old Testament. If you want to understand the book of Hebrews, read the Old Testament. So chapters 1 through 11 are considered doctrinal chapters. They lay down these incredible doctrines that, that, uh, that Paul has been giving to us. The rest of the book of Romans from this point on are said to be practical. I agree but disagree because there's nothing more practical than doctrine. If you don't have doctrine, you would have no practice. But if this is a practical, if this is a shift in the book of Romans, then Romans 12 is a very practical teaching that given to us from God that should impact our lives. And if it's a practical teaching, then we need to practice what it says. So I'd like to preach this passage in a very practical way, and hopefully that God can use it to further our walk with him. So it starts out, Paul starts out, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service. Anytime we see a therefore in Scripture, we have to look back and find out what it's, Therefore, so, so Paul has just laid down all the doctrines in Romans 1 through 11. He's just laid down all those doctrines one by one by one, building, building, building. Now Paul comes and he says, now therefore. So the therefore, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore because of everything that I have just taught you. Everything that I am laying down one by one by one, they blow our minds. They blow our minds. And now Paul says, now therefore, I appeal to you, which is often spoken of in the terms of the Holy Spirit, that word. Well, the Holy Spirit says, come alongside and I will teach you. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to understand the scriptures. It's his job, one of his jobs, to illuminate him. He comes, he indwells within us, and then he blows our mind with the meaning of the scripture. I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit because I am not that bright. You don't have to laugh at that. <laughs> Paul appeals, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, speaking to Christians. Have you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? If anybody here today is in Christ, you have eternal life. And God is, as a believer, now for you, every one of us who is here today who have experienced Jesus Christ. Every one of us who have looked to the God-man that was born 2,000 years ago. Every one of us that have seen his perfections. We've seen his perfections. We, we saw him because of living a perfect life. He was crucified. 
And during that crucifixion, we know that three hours on the cross, that God turned his back on his son. And during those three hours, I don't understand, it blows my mind theologically, but during those three hours, God placed an eternity of punishment that I deserve for my sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. That is the good news. And then he was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And then he ascended onto heaven, and thereby we have salvation. It's only in Jesus Christ. If you have experienced that salvation today, this passage is trying to speak to you. This passage is trying to get you to say, brothers, I appeal to you, come alongside all this teaching that you have read in the book of Romans. Come alongside, and I will take you even further in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Very simplistic a difference between God's grace and God's mercy. God's grace, he gives us something we don't deserve. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace are you saved through faith, it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So grace is God just graciously giving us something that we do not deserve as sinners. Oh, I am thankful for God's grace. Mercy here, mercy is God showering us with compassions and having pity on us and withholding from us something that we do deserve. You put those two together, God's grace and God's mercy, and you have eternal life. What does Paul mean? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the... Oh, by the way, you'll hear me quote... King James, because I have this memorized in the King James. So Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God having pity on us. God showering us with his mercies. I thought about Adam, the first man, Adam. Remember him? He's a good guy. Plunged us all into sin, thank you. Thank you very much. But Adam, he was a really good guy. He was perfect for moments. And God clearly spoke to him, clearly spoke to him, and said, do not eat of that tree. And Adam said, okay, I will eat of that tree. God said, and God, Adam remembered, he said, you know, God told me not to eat of this tree. And he also said that if I ate of it, what would happen? He would die. So Adam ate of that tree, and the next thing he knows, he hears God coming. What's he thinking? I'm a dead man. And God had pity on him, and God showed his mercy to him, and he just lived a few more hundred years. That's mercy, isn't it? The apostle Paul was walking down the road one day and said, I'll ask Jesus Christ into my heart. Is that how Paul was saved? <laughs> Paul was going to persecute people like you. He had just seen one of you put to death. Paul was on the road. He hated Jesus Christ. He didn't like the cause of Christ. He denied Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ invaded his life and saved him and gloriously transformed him. And because of him, we're reading this today. That is the mercy of God. If you have come to Jesus Christ you have that same mercy resting upon you. So Paul says, because of all the doctrine I've said, 
Because of all the doctrine I've taught you, because of the entire book of Romans, by his mercy, I beseech you to present your bodies living sacrifices. If this is a practical aspect of the book of Romans, then we can practically offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And I started to think of that. I said, well, how would we do that? How, how would, practically, how, how would we practice it? Therefore, I've read all the doctrine. I'm amazed at God's salvation. I'm stunned that he would choose me. I read the book of Romans 1 through 11. And now he comes and he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And if this is practical teaching, then we should practice it. How about your eyes? Could we offer our eyes as living sacrifices? I've heard studies of the amount of people that are here today, Christians, who are actively viewing pornography. They're taking their eyes and they're viewing something that is completely destructive. I grew up reading pornography. My father had a subscription to the magazine. I can honestly say I haven't looked at it. But it's always out there, is it not? You don't need a magazine to go, right? And you know what? It's stunning. The, 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 um, the people who study it say women are starting now to get more and more involved in pornography. And no doubt there's many, many men here who are viewing, they're using their eyes to view something as pornographic. Now, lest you're here today and you say, oh, that's not me. You've been delivered, such as I, from viewing pornography. Don't get proud because everybody in here has lusted. So we're all guilty of using our eyes in a wrong way. But what if we offered them as a living sacrifice? How would we practice doing right with our eyes? That's what God wants us to do. What about your ears? <laughs> My girls say I have a song for everything. You know, if you've, if you've lived a long time and you went through the 60s and 70s and you listen to that music, which, by the way, is the best music on planet Earth, okay? <laughs> And my kids will say something. I said, oh, that reminds me of. And then I go to the uh, computer and I pull it up and I start to play a little snippet of it. Well, I was doing that one day and one thing led to another. And pretty soon I'm listening to the opening chords of Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. And I could see myself drumming to it because we played it in the band. It's one of the easiest songs to play so we could do it. <laughs> and I'm listening to it. And usually I listen to that music for... Uh, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and then I got to turn it off. If I listened to that all day, I'd have to shoot somebody at the end of the day. <laughs> it just has an effect on my spirit. And, and perhaps you work in a place that you have to listen to elevator music all day long, and pretty soon you're humming elevator music. And, and, and working at Pizza Pit, when the, someone comes in the door, bing, 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 and I got the bing, bing, bing down on my head. You just hear it long enough, and you start to sing the bing, bing, bing. 
because what we listen to has an effect upon us. Well, just think if we had to listen to elevator music all, all day long, and then we come home and we listen to the news. I, uh, I don't listen to the news. I, then I would shoot somebody. And, and you come home from the elevator music, and then you listen to the news, and then you watch some sitcoms, and then you go to bed. And that is what you have allowed into your ear gate all day long. That is presenting your body not to Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if you're struggling through all those things that you go through in the day, and then you come home and you switch gears and you turn on Christian radio or Christian music or talk to your wife or husband about scripture and, and family and kids and use the Bible, to that is allowing something else to come into our ear gate, and that is offering our bodies a living sacrifice to God, our ears. What about our tongue? That's what some men hear. Men, have you ever rolled your eyes? <laughs> have you ever rolled your eyes in your heart? <laughs> That's what some women hear. We can be very angry and bitter and frustrated people. And we can take our tongues, which is a world of iniquity, and use them to destroy people. If I can cut you down far enough that you can't stand, then I am left head and shoulders above you. And I have to do a lot of that to get head and shoulders above most of you. What would happen if God touched us and we took our eyes and our ears and our mouth and we offered them as living sacrifices? We went to the Word of God and we said, God, I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with anger. Why am I such a nag? I asked the same thing. My wife is not a nag, by the way. But I desperately want to change, Lord. How can I do it? By offering yourself as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God. Because the therefore, because of everything that God is laying down in the passage, Jesus keeps building and building from this point. Oh, believers in Christ, if you have tasted God's mercy, if you are striving to practice giving yourself to God, all to God, listen to what comes next. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service in the King James. I'm going to go to that in just a minute. Holy is morally blameless. How are we doing? Acceptable is well-pleasing to God. How are we doing? Listen, we have the ability to do this. This isn't something we cannot do. We have the ability to do this, and God is going to reveal it to us along this passage. So being acceptable, God, Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. It can be done. This is one that we all recognize. 
Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is well-pleasing, the same word. This is well-pleasing in the Lord. All of us want obedient children. I love obedient children. Hebrews 13, 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's what we're speaking of today. Working in that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The ESV says, which is your spiritual worship. The King James says, which is your reasonable service. That spiritual worship, that word, listen to this. This, This will help us. That word means rational, reasonable, or logical. Logic. Logic is the reasoning conducted or assessed according to strict principles of validity. Is this true? Is this true? If this is truth, then my reasoning ability says I need to do what is true. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible true 100% in your heart? The Bible. Is the Bible true from page one to page one, however long it is? Is it true in your heart? If it is, then logic would tell us to do what it says. Logic would say, because Jesus Christ died, because I have the Holy Spirit, because these two things happen, I have salvation, and I do have the power to live a life pleasing to God. That is really good news. That is great news that we need to strive to do. I stand up here today as an incredibly blessed man. Jesus Christ saved me. I wasn't looking for him. I wanted nothing to do with him. He was a common curse word to me. I made filthy jokes about him. It blows my mind that he saved me. And I see because his mercies, because of all the doctrine laid down, logically, what should I do? Oh, boom! I should offer myself as a living sacrifice. I should watch what I look at. I should watch what I listen to. I should watch what I speak. I should watch what I do with my hands. I should watch to see where my feet are taking me along his path of life. And then I could be morally blameless when he comes around. The practical, the logical aspect continues in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Do not is one word. Be and conformed are two words in the Greek. Now, you may say, oh, you know Greek. (laughs) I know a little Greek. (laughs) This is a true story. We bought our first restaurant from a little Greek. (laughs) Hey, so I do know a little Greek. And I did study Greek, so I still know very little Greek. 
But the truth is, is do not conform, conform. The truth is, Paul is making emphasis here. Do not conform, conform to the world. He's emphasizing that we should not be conformed to the world. Well, what is the world? It'd be better if we said, do not conform, conform to this age. What age are we in? We are in the age of self, aren't we? Self, selfishness. I mean, the world is flying apart. Right is wrong and wrong is right, and people are just selfish. People are self-centered. People don't have a great enough self-image. Right. Right, that's different than what we said. That is countercultural, isn't it? People are all about self. We don't need to squeeze our... Man, I certainly don't want to squeeze myself into myself. You ought to live with me. It's not easy. Because I'm sinful. And I do sinful things. We don't need to squeeze ourselves into this age, into the image of this age, and be more self. Self doesn't please Christ. Taking up our cross daily pleases Christ. And then we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Listen to this. This is so fresh. By the renewal... Did I lose my thing? (laughs) I said, I will see Craig fidgeting with this thing, and I said, I'm not going to do that because I forget it. I forget it goes off. So signal me when it... I get active and I throw the stupid thing off. Transformed by the renewal of your minds. Renewal comes from the base words which has the meaning of freshness in it. The renewal of your minds. When's the last time you got alone with God, just spent some time with him? And you got yourself renewed from his word? And others saw it. Renewal appears only two times in the scripture here, and in Titus 3.5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost. There's two aspects, there's two people who are involved in this newness in our life, this renewal in our life, this freshness in our life. It's us and the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing on our own. We have to participate in it, but we can do nothing on our own. And if you're reading the scripture and you're just like, ah, I'm just not getting anything, I suggest you pray to the Spirit of God that permanently dwells within you and say, God, I need a fresh approach to life. I need a fresh approach to to offering myself as a living sacrifice. Ephesians 5.8 says, being filled with the Spirit. So practice this, practice this, practice this. Do it over and over and over. Well, then I'm a hypocrite. Well, you sin over and over again. How's that getting you? Where is that getting you? How's that working in your relationships? Speaking of practice, as I was, what sport is Pastor Craig a fan of? What? Baseball. Because he's from Illinois and there are no football fans in Illinois. 
All right. And Russell. What, is, what sport is he a fan of? Basketball. Louisville, right? No, Kentucky. You know, you wanted to play basketball for Kentucky, right? You dreamed of it? Remember in the shower? <laughs> See, we do listen. Strange, you say strange things up here. In the shower, he's dreaming about playing basketball. I would think of dreaming in the driveway, but, you know, I mean, hey. And, and Craig has dreamed about playing what position? Second base for the Cubs. Okay. Just think if either of them had made it, what would happen? Well, they wouldn't be here, and they'd be wealthy. <laughs> How would they have made it? How do you become a professional baseball player? Why in the world anybody would want to play baseball? <laughs> Okay, but, but if you wanted to be a professional baseball player, what would you need to do? Practice. If you wanted to play basketball for Kentucky, what would you need to do? But you would need something else, too. You would need practice, 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 offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. But you would also need something else to play on any professional team, or college team, for that fact. You'd have to be gifted by God. Some people are gifted by God to play basketball. Again, another sport. Why would anybody want to watch basketball? <laughs> now, football. Football is really the only sport that I know the game within the game, so that's the sport that I kind of like to watch. In order to get really, really good at something, you have to practice it. But in order to get really, really good at something, you also have to be gifted. To play for the Packers, you'd have to be gifted. To play for a few other teams, you just have to know how to show up. <laughs> Lost my spot here. Ah, no, I didn't. I lost my brain. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. You prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In our, our ESV says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Up until this point, God has used the, the word mercy. He's built these two verses off the term mercy. Now he's going to shift and he's going to speak about grace. In verse 3 he says, For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think too highly, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul has appealed to God's mercy. All sinners deserve hell, and I am glad for God's mercy that he's not giving me something that I deserve. 
And when I think of that, it should transform my life. But now, now Paul is going to swift, swift, is going to shift his mindset towards our gifting. He wants us to practice verses 1 and 2, and then he wants to see our gifting, and he wants to bring those two together. He says, for by grace given to me, this grace, the nuance of it is especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. God's marvelous grace, God's infinite grace, especially this divine influence upon my heart, and then reflecting on that and letting it come up into my life. For by that grace given to me, I shouldn't think too highly of myself. I don't know about you, but I think really high of myself sometimes. My biggest problem with God's grace is my pride. When I think through my pride that I am really somebody, it's really, really stupid. It's really foolish to be proud. What have I done? What have I done for salvation? What did I bring to the table in salvation? And I thought about it. If, if I was a speck of sand, which I'm not even that in regards to my salvation, but if I was a speck of sand, giving myself credit where it doesn't belong, if I was a speck of sand and you were all a speck of sand, we would be a very small amount of sand. And think of all of us put together, this little handful of sand, each one of us, and all of creation out there stretched out by this creator, Jesus Christ. How's your pride against that? Talk about a stupid mindset. Talk about a foolish mindset. And I do it so often in my life. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than they ought to, but to think sober judgment. You know, there's a few times this sober judgment are used in Scripture, and one of them is quite interesting, and I found, it's the maniac of Gadara. Remember him? Just in chains, they'd put him in chains, and he'd break the chains. The demonic influence was so potent in his life that he could break the chains and he, would, and, he would, and he would just scream in the tombs at night. Can you imagine having him as a neighbor? Screaming in the tombs at night, ah! as the demons possessed him and empowered him. And when Jesus Christ came to him, he had sound mind, which is exactly what we're supposed to have. But we look at our lives and we say, well, I wasn't the maniac of Gadara. I look at my life and say, uh, yeah, I was. I was crazy at times. And God invaded my life and saved me. And now he wants me to think with the mindset that the maniac of Gadara probably had. When he was sitting there and in his right mind, he actually put clothes on. That's what we're supposed to think like. Just imagine how thankful that man would have been. Just 
imagine how incredibly the gratitude would just out, just completely. He, you know, and all he wanted to do from that point was be with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said, no, I don't need you anymore. I, I, you don't need me anymore. Now I want you to go tell people how great I am. And I'll bet there was a revival because of the maniac of Gadara, just like there is from us interacting with people, right? Paul writes and that we're to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I wish, I wish, I wish I had time. Anybody want, anybody want to miss lunch today? I could do it. <laughs> I wish I had more brain power in my studies to understand what the measure of faith that God has assigned means. I read pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. I wish I had more brain power to understand those concepts. I wish I had more time to preach and teach what I've taught you already. I wish I had more time to apply that to my life because that's what really matters. This measure of faith, if studied and practiced, it leaves us with no room for pride. However, it does magnify God. Where does faith come from? that's a three-hour message in itself. But where does faith come from? I don't believe that man has saving faith. I believe that God gives us. I believe that God saves us and then gives us faith. Because in my practical experience, I wasn't looking for Christ. I didn't believe in Christ. I wanted nothing to do with Christ, and I hated his people. They were idiots. My sister-in-law was one of them. I didn't have saving faith. I'm glad that I was given faith at salvation. But where does faith come from? I got a whole teaching on that that we're going to pass by now because of time. But each according to the measure of faith that God has signed. I didn't ask for my gifts. Now, my wife and I talk quite a bit. And only after 30 years of salvation, actually, if I, that's how long I've been saved, it's actually been about 26 years of salvation. I really never knew how to work within my gifting as a Christian. And because of that, I spent years and years and years just kind of in a struggle, trying to figure out who and what I should do. And, and, and it was tough. Those were tough years. So what is this measure of faith and why is it so important? Well, I'm just going to leave you with that because I can't take the time to explain it. But the measure of faith is a limited portion. All of us have a limited portion of faith. None of us are all faithful. We each have a measured, a small amount of faith that was given to us. In this passage, it's connected to our gifting. 
That's the whole point of this passage. Oh, that's the will of God for my life. Yes, to have a limited portion of faith, to find your gift, to put those two together, and to serve him with it. And when that happens... Oh, when that happens, it is really exciting to serve the Lord because you're not trying to do something that you're not gifted in, and you realize, God, I need strength here. I feel like I'm going to do this, like, like go somewhere on the other side of the world to an orphanage to step out and say, I don't know, God, why? Would Amy and Matt go all the way around the world and spend all that money to fly all the way around the world and lose sleep and go there and minister in a dangerous country to minister to kids? I can see ministering to adults. Why would you do that? Unless God said, I want you to go to an orphanage. It's a gift that I want to stir up within you. I want to take you to the other side of the world. I'm going to reveal my power in you, and I'm going to show you how great I am so that you can reach others with this precious gospel of Jesus Christ, and you can teach them to offer their bodies as living sacrifice so they can go out and change the people that they're involved in. And when we see, we just have a small amount of faith, and we pair it with our gifting, which is what Paul is going to show us amazing things happen in this Christian walk. But to try and do something that's not in your gifting, not that God doesn't want us to do it, but to try to do something that's not in your gifting, we tend to go into our own power and struggle and work at it. I did it for years. Verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, none of us do, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. That's what we're functioning here as right now. And individual members of one another. We have to see that. We are involved in each other's lives. We think this is my gift and I'm going to use it here. And God says, no, this is your gift. And I want you to use it among this family of God right here. You don't have, you can go to the other side of the world, but you don't have to go to the other side of the world. But you have to use it. And God wants you to use it. And he will empower to use it. And he wants you to use it right here, mostly. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Talk about practical and logical. Oh, God, you've given me a limited portion of faith, a measure of faith. What is that faith? What should I be doing? God, lead me in the direction. Wait a minute, I'm feeling compelled to go to the other side of the earth to minister to children in an orphanage. God, would you lead? God, would you supply? Oh, look at what he did. God, I'm struggling with my husband. <laughs> God, I'm struggling with my wife. God, I'm struggling with my kids. God, I'm struggling with my work. God, uh, you, you've called me to this job. You've placed me in this job. Whatever happened, this is where I'm at. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Yes, it's where I, I want you to be. Then give me the portion of faith. Give me the measure of faith so that I can reach people with the gospel. Because that's what's important. So if prophecy in proportion to our faith, so there's a measure of faith, the next thing Paul says, there's a proportion of faith. It's a very interesting word. It's only used here. 
It's a compound word meaning God, Paul, who way beyond our intelligence has brought this word together. The base of the meaning of this word is in proportion of faith. This is how we are to use our gifts. The gift that God has given us, the faith that he's got given to us, this measure of faith. And he says now, if prophecy, if your gift, whatever it is, you do it in proportion to our faith. Proportion has uh, the divine expression that is Christ. In other words, God's word must fuel our gifting. God's word must empower our gifting. If you're going to serve, serve in God's word. If you're going to teach, teach in God's word. If you're going to contribute money, contribute money in God's word. If you're going to lead, lead with it fueled by God's word. If you're going to have acts of mercy, have acts of mercy that are fueled with God's word. How many of us want more of God? That is a good saying, but very bad theology. That's a very good thing to want, and I want it too, but it's very bad theology. What more can you get from God other than himself, which permanently indwells within you? Another saying, a more theologically correct saying would be, I want to give more of myself to God and let God use what I give to him for his glory, for his pleasure. I want more of you, God. That is a beautiful sound. He has given all. He, God, was up in heaven one day and said, in eternity past, I'm going to redeem a people for myself. And the only way I can do it is by sending my son to that sin-cursed earth. He's going to go down there. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to live a spotless, morally pure, perfect life. For that, this sinful humanity is going to put him on a cross and they're going to kill him. He's going to die on the cross. During that time, God said, I have to turn my back on my son because during that time, I'm going to place your sin and my sin on my son. And my son is going to pay the eternal price that we needed so desperately bad. I'm going to give you everything. Everything you ever possibly needed for salvation will be totally taken care of by my son. He will be buried. He will rise again. He will conquer sin and death. He will ascend back to heaven. And not only that, I'm going to infuse within you. I'm going to place within you. I'm going to do something so unimaginable in the Old Testament. I'm going to put inside your very being myself, the Holy Spirit. I want more of God. Really? God wants more of us. I've given you everything. 
everything that you could ever dream of, even beyond your wildest dreams. I have provided everything for you. I just want more of you. I beseech you, therefore, Real Hope Church, I beg of you, I plead of you, I exhort you, just as the Holy Spirit does, that you offer yourselves to God, living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's very logical. Don't be conformed to this world. God says, I want to transform you. I want to renew you. And I've given you everything you can. Thereby, you will prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, that's the will of God for my life. Giving everything to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation. It's beyond measure, Lord. It's beyond our wildest dreams. It blows our mind when we think of it, Lord. It should drastically influence us. It should penetrate our hearts. It should penetrate our minds. We don't need more of you, God. You need more of us. Just a moment, Russell's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. It'd be a great time for us to reflect upon what you have done. It'd be a great time for us to think of your mercy, your grace. It would be a wonderful time, Lord, for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifice. That is a very logical thing to do, Lord. But even with all that, we have to have your Holy Spirit's help and we have to commit to him, surrender to him. We beg, we plead, Lord, of you to take control of us. In your precious name, amen. So we close our, our time of worship. I'd like to leave us with this, which I actually was reading this morning from 1 John chapter 3. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So let us remember that we are God's children. That's what Romans 1 through 11 has been saying, basically, that we are God's children. Let us rejoice in that. And then let us hope in him and purify ourselves as he is pure.